uh, I, I want to thank you for even just having us here. Uh, coronavirus has just been crazy, you know, in our lives. The way that it has affected us is, you know, we came back and we were supposed to be back in our country uh, about a month ago, and we are kind of stuck here. Uh, so we are just day by day waiting for the day when our the borders open back up, and we are anxious. Uh, we have shed many tears, uh, even last night, uh, just really desperately wanting to get back and not being able to. And I think the other thing that's been hard is as we are stuck here, we're like, man, let's, let's rock it out here in America. And America isn't typical America these days, is it? Uh, and that's been tricky. Uh, we were talking last night, you know, usually uh, at a minimum of, you know, we, we're usually maybe... In a month, maybe three churches were speaking at a minimum, sometimes more than that. And uh, in what, seven, eight months, this is the third church we've spoken at, uh, which is, you know, we are desperately wanting to share what God is doing overseas and encourage you all, and it just hasn't been possible. And so I want you to just remember the different missionaries that maybe, you, you, maybe you're on an email list or you come across. Uh, times are, are pretty crazy uh, right now. Um, and so just kind of be, be thinking about that. Uh, just a little bit about our family. Uh, first off, uh, you got to see my, my daughters up here. They're wearing uh, the traditional Myanmar outfit where they have kind of like the skirt thing in the top. Um, I, my wife brought the idea up, and I was quick to shoot it down for me to wear the outfit because the male outfit looks just like that outfit. Uh, so um, I, did, I decided not to bless you all with a skirt uh, this morning, um, but... Uh, I'm sure there's pictures of me somewhere in a skirt. That is the traditional wear. Uh, also, you may have seen what is called thunica on my daughter's face. Maybe later you'll see. And it's the tree bark, and they rub it really hard, mix it with water, and it's like a paste. And that is their sunscreen. It keeps their face cool. It's their makeup. And again, guys also wear that too. So I did not want to bless you with me being up here wearing a skirt and makeup. Uh, so... Um, and you all can thank me for that later. Um, after the service, and I want to encourage you, if you have questions, especially for our kids, they would love to answer those questions. And also, uh, they have a few t-shirts. They're only youth sizes. Um, but uh, So they have some different t-shirts. I think they're like $10 or 2 for 15 I don't know. But they'll be in the back there if you want to talk to them or if you want a, uh, a t-shirt that kind of has like our, our city logo on that, you can see them uh, after the service. But yeah, we want to thank you for, uh, for praying uh, for us and with us. And let me pray, and then after that, we are going to just give you a snapshot as to what our country is, what we're doing, and then we will be diving into Scripture uh, because there is something that God has laid on our hearts uh, from His Word that we want to share with you. So if you do have your Bibles, we will be in the book of Acts a lot, and so make sure you are ready for that. But let me go ahead and let's pray for us. Lord, I want to thank you so much for uh, churches like this, uh, that really have their hands in so many uh, different things around this, uh, this city and around the world. Uh, just years and years of history of investing into uh, different areas of the world, and we thank you for that. We thank you for their ongoing support of our family uh, over the past, um, man, uh, eight years I think it's been. Uh, and so we thank you for that. And Lord, uh, I pray that right now that it would not be... Uh, me that they would hear. It wouldn't even be stories that they would hear that would challenge them, but I just pray that, that we would all, including myself, be challenged from your word, that it would be your word that would speak 
uh, and not uh, my human voice, Lord. Speak in and through your word and radically change us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, just a little bit about, about us. Uh, I uh, serve in what is called Yangon, Myanmar. Yangon is the city. Uh, Myanmar is the country, uh, formerly known as Rangoon, Burma. So maybe you've heard of that. Uh, so we are in between uh, Thailand, India, right in that area. We, we have a border with China. And so we, we live there, and I both train and, um, and teach nationals uh, how to uh, evangelize, how to disciple, how to plant churches. And then also we go into the areas that there are no Christians at all, and we just basically from the ground up uh, lead, try to lead the first people to Christ, uh, and then from there plant the very first churches. Uh, my wife, she is faithfully involved. She is in our community trying to get different Bible studies started among uh, the different Buddhist people that are there. Uh, she works with the wives of the pastors that I work with. And she also goes into different churches that have a children's ministry. But maybe they're not using that children's ministry to connect to lost parents. And so she goes alongside and helps out with that. And then our kids, they're involved with with school, which that's another crazy thing. We have no idea if we're going to get into a school this year. Uh, we'll kind of see what happens. But uh, our, our family, we are rubbing shoulders both with national believers and with uh, unbelieving Buddhists in our country. And that basically is our country. It is primarily Buddhist. Uh, our city has over 8 million people, as you saw in the video. Uh, so it is a lot of people. Uh, it is over 90% Buddhist. So the primary uh, beliefs are basically that, you know, there probably is not a God, and if there was a God, he doesn't really care. Because everything about their religion is about suffering. And so when they see sin, to them, that is evidence that there is no God. When they see natural disasters, that's evidence that there must not be a God. Because how could a God allow these things to happen? And so we are there trying to answer those questions of how can they, how can they wrestle with this idea that there is sin and suffering, yet there is a good God that we have been singing about. And so that is one of the big things that we are trying to get across to them. And one of the challenges in getting this message to them is our country has been closed uh, for quite some time. Um, we only opened up about 10 years ago. Uh, up until 10 years ago, we were on a very bad list. We were on a list that included three countries, Myanmar, Cuba, and North Korea. We were the three closed countries to the West. That's not a list that you want to be on. Um, and so getting the word of God into that country was, was very difficult. Uh, Coca-Cola couldn't even get into this country. Uh, until 10 years ago, no Coca-Cola, no cell phones, no internet. Uh, actually, if you wanted to call someone, you ran, ran up to the local store, like a like little, I don't even know what you call it, but uh, like a little shack type thing, and, and you'd call on the phone, and then it would call another little shop in the other part of the town, and they'd have this megaphone, and they'd say, calling the Smith family, calling the Smith family, and the Smith family would kind of run all over, and then they would talk like that. That was the way that they would communicate 10 years ago. I mean, it is way, way, way back, uh, back, you know, far beyond what we're used to with technology, but it is all of a sudden exploding. The West is coming in, everyone's fighting to be the first ones on the ground, and we have this incredible opportunity to be the first ones to share with them the truth of the gospel. That's very, very exciting that we get to be a part of. But here's some crazy numbers, two, two numbers I want to throw at you. Uh, what, both, one of them you saw up here is that 
the, the country is, the city is growing so fast that we have to lead 450 to 500 people, depending on how you look at the numbers. We have to lead, let's say, 500 people to Christ every single day just to keep up with the population growth. What that means is if I have an awesome day and I lead 499 people to Christ, the population of Christians are going down. That is how fast that our city is growing and how many lost people there are in our city. It's just a mind-boggling number on, and a huge task that is before us. But here's another number that may surprise you. Outside of America, Myanmar has the highest population of Baptists in the world. And that's numbers, those two numbers should, should not go together. I mean, I mean, how on earth can that happen? How can I, in one sense, talk about the lostness, but then on the other hand, talk about how there's so many Baptists? And, and really, that's going to spark a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Because there are some things that we're going to see that has happened within uh, the country of Myanmar that are things that we are seeing in the country of America. And a cycle that we see all throughout biblical history and history in general. But here's, here's, here's some of the things I want you to see, is that we're going to see as we look at Scripture that God has a plan for His people. God, God says, this is what my people should look like, and when we don't look like that, we begin to become part of this horrible, sinful cycle that we see over and over again. Just kind of going back in, in history to kind of understand Myanmar, uh, up until the 1800s, Christians, especially um, European, American Christians, mostly white-skinned Christians, had a very interesting view. When you look at history, the primary view was if you did not have light skin, if you lived in places like Africa and things like that, you were called a barbarian, you were the heathens. And actually, if you read most readings of Baptists that we read often, they would say things like, these are people that are not worthy of the gospel. It's in the writings. That's just that's an absolute truth. It wasn't until you begin to talk, hear about people like William Carey. Maybe you've heard about William Carey in the late 1700s. And he begins to write books and say, listen, every single person is worthy of hearing and responding to the gospel. He begins to, to get this message out and begins to spread. And he begins to say, I'm going to answer that call. He leaves England and he goes to India. Well, that, that uh, stir, that missionary spirit, that call to go to those that are different than us reaches American shores. And one of those people that it reached was someone by the name of, of Adoniram Judson. Maybe you've, if you know history, maybe you've heard about the haystack prayer meeting and, and kind of out of that would lead this man named Adoniram Judson to say, you know what, I want to be the American that will take this message to the most unlikely place. He ends up in a place that was basically compared as modern-day Nineveh. That was the country of Burma, the city of Rangoon. I mean, everyone talked about how evil this place was, that these people did not deserve the gospel. And it is absolutely amazing. If you read what was said about Nineveh in the days of Jonah, was basically what was said of the country that we live in back in those days. But he said, these people are worthy of the gospel, and I'm willing to give my life. He goes there, and he does see death. He is willing to give his life. He loses numerous children. Death, death, death. He has his wife passes away there, marries again. She dies there. 
He is accused of being a spy, spends over a year in prison, being hung upside down by his ankles with rats going around. They would have times where they would put a caged tiger next to him, saying every day, hey, this may be the day we open up this cage for you to be eaten by this tiger. And he went through all these things and persecution that we could never imagine because he passionately wanted these people who had never heard the gospel to hear the good news of the gospel. Through persecution, different things, he kind of is, is pushed out of, out of a, a, what was called Rangoon at the time, Yangon today. And he begins to feel like, oh God, what are you doing? You brought me here and you led me to this place. And, and man, we, I've, I've, I've given everything that I have. And by the end of his time there, um, we have my numbers here. By the end of this time there, of his time there, when he came to his death, over 8,000 people in Burma had accepted Christ and 74 churches had been planted. Because somebody said, you know what? I'm willing to cross geographical borders. I'm willing to cross cultural borders for the gospel. I am willing to do that. But something happened. Because again, we talked about how my country is, I mean, overwhelmingly Buddhist. So many lost. So how can, how can this happen? The church became comfortable. The Baptists began to look more and more like the world. The Baptists began to take on the local belief that, you know what, all religions are equal. Whatever, whatever you're born into, you just stick with that and that, that's good. And, and we want to keep... We want to keep things as they are. We, we love our traditions. Just let us keep our traditions. We don't need to do this evangelism. We'll just stay within ourselves. We want to be comfortable. We want to have the most comfortable pews. We want our songbook. We just want it just our way, our little group. And eventually they became a dying church. Their primary goal was exalting themselves, having hierarchy. Now they're a laughingstock. As a matter of fact, when I go to my country, many times, just to say that I'm from a Baptist church, people begin to look at me like, oh, oh, you're, you're, you're one of them. It's a very sad thing that has happened in my country. But the sad thing is we are seeing some of these things even in America as well, where what has become important is that we are just gathered together and, and keep things as they are and keep our traditions. And, and we begin to worry things about like, oh, music or, or what, what, what uh, you know, style is my hair, my outfit or, or the parking lot. I mean, all these different random things that we make such a big deal on. We throw all of our time and energy and money into all these things and we begin to lose our identity of who we are as Christians. And that is becoming true even in our country today. It's a cycle that we see all throughout Scripture where God screams from the opening pages that His people are people who go and spread His glory to all peoples, all nations, no matter what you look like, no matter what your background is. This is the definition of what God's people look like. And we were looking less and less like that, ultimately seeking a kingdom for ourselves and a kingdom that looks just like me. I want my group that looks like me, that sounds like me, that has my style. And eventually we look less and less like the body of Christ, as Luke was saying just today. That, man, can we want to look like the body of Christ, this mixture of peoples and, and styles and backgrounds. That's what we should look like. 
I have one, one sentence. If, if there's one thing that you take away from today, here's, here's kind of the main point as we begin to dive into Scripture. The people of God are most vividly seen when they spread the glory of God across cultural and geographical barriers. Let me say this again. The people of God are most vividly seen when they spread the glory of God across cultural and geographical barriers. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to fly through these things. If you want to see the specific passages, I can th- tell you later. But as we look in Scripture, we see how God over and over and over calls us to go and spread. Uh, when I have students in Nehemiah, I, I usually ask, Oh, what's the very first commandment that God gives Adam and Eve? And they always get it wrong. Uh, but the first commandment is actually, Go, be fruitful and multiply. He wants them to cover the earth. That's the very first command that God gives Adam and Eve. And it's not a coincidence that after Noah and the ark and all of that thing happens, what is the very first thing that God says to them? They're coming off the ark. They're about to get off the ark. And God says two times, chapter 11, verse, I think, 1, verse 9, he says, again, be fruitful, multiply, cover the earth. All throughout scripture, we see this idea of God wanting his glory to cover the earth. But then we get to the Tower of Babel. And many of us know this story where they were told to cover the earth, but what did they do instead? They stay amongst themselves. They say, we want to stay together. We want to build this tower. We want to make a name for ourselves. This is what we ultimately, when we are born, that is deep within us. That is the sin within us is we want to stay among people that are like us. We want to be comfortable. Listen, let me be honest with you. I like my Chick-fil-A. I like my air conditioner. I hate mosquitoes. I hate sweating. I hate a lot of the things that I experience over there. I am not there because I want to be on a vacation over there. I like it here. I like sweet tea. I like Starbucks. And if it was in my own own abilities, I would be here. I want to be here. But that is not what God is calling us to do. He says, go, spread, cover. And these people said, no, 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 my kingdom, my tower. And what does God do? He spreads them, yes. But here's what's interesting. We look at that as like a punishment. But that's not a punishment. God is saying, I'm going to cause you to do what I'm wanting you to do. It's kind of like, like Jonah. We go, oh, no, no, no. Jonah, he's got swallowed. No. If the fish didn't swallow him, he would have died. And God used that to lead him to do what he was called to do, to go to the Ninevites. And we see this throughout Scripture. We again, we go to, uh, to Abraham, and we see what is Abraham called to do? Be a blessing to the nations. That is this call we see over and over and over throughout Scripture. Eventually, after failure and failure and failure, and, and the calls by David and the prophets to go to the nations, cover the earth, finally someone gets it right, and that is Jesus Christ himself. We see stories of him going to tax collectors. We see stories of him going to the Samaritan woman, going to those that nobody else would go to, the the outcasts. And Jesus says, no, these are the ones that we go to. We go to the sick and we go to the hurting. That's how he lived his life. And we know at the end of his life, he gives the Great Commission, doesn't he? And he talks about going and making disciples of all nations. And he says, talks about going out and spreading. This is what it means to be a disciple. Sitting in a comfortable pew and checking off our spiritual list, that is not what makes a disciple. Listen, we need to be here. This is good. But just being here is not what makes a disciple. 
We go and make disciples of all nations. That is the definition of a disciple. All right, open the book of Acts. I want you to see how this begins to happen in a good way in the book of Acts, but I have to be honest that we will end on a sad note. Things don't end up as good as we would hope. All right, so if we're in the book of Acts, and you may already know this, so you may not even turn there, Acts 1.8, similar to the Great Commission. All right, he says, uh, he goes and he tells them, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. So he says, okay, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And let me just kind of make a side note, just specifically talking about the Holy Spirit. There are many things that the Holy Spirit does. He is our comforter. He reminds us of Scripture. He does a lot of things that are true. But one of the things that we see primarily in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit giving us the power to send us out to make disciples. That is one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be careful that when we are are singing about the Holy Spirit or reading about the Holy Spirit, we want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are asking God to send us out as witnesses. But where are they to go? They says, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and the what? Ends of the earth. All right, for the four people paying attention, we're good. I'm going to run with you, you four. Okay, so Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We've heard this passage before. And he says, this is what you are going to do as the Holy Spirit comes. This is who you are as my disciples. All right, go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Now, Luke said that I have two hours, but I'm going to try to get this down to one. Just, uh, that, that's his call, okay? All right. So, we're going to go fast. I need you to listen very quickly. So, Acts chapter 8. So, in Acts chapter 7, we begin to see persecution. Stephen is being persecuted, and they go, and they're stoning him. And then we get to Acts chapter 8. And let's see what happens as a result of the persecution. Verses Saul agreeing, uh, agree with putting him to death. Then, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered. Listen to this. Throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Wow, we're starting to see something happen. Up to this point, they had the Holy Spirit, but up to chapter 7, they had not left Jerusalem yet. There were some people that came to Jerusalem, but they had not gone as they were commanded to do. Persecution happens. God uses persecution. God uses difficult times to force people to do what he has commanded them to do. Let me pause real fast. I don't think it's an accident that our country and our world is going through these crazy pandemics, crazy fightings and stuff like that. That's not, that's not an accident. God uses these moments in history to cause his people to go. I'm just throwing that out there. We see that in scripture. We see that throughout history. Here he uses persecution. And they're starting to, to kind of get it. They're getting out and they're starting to go. In verse 4, it says, those who scattered, that they are bringing this gospel message with them. It is spreading. It has not yet broken out to the ends of the earth. It has not yet broken out to the Gentiles. But they're starting to be urged on. They're starting to get it. But then we finally get to chapter 11, where we'll be spending most of our time. And here we see the church finally crosses geographical and cultural barriers. I'm going to read uh, chapter 11, verses 19 through 24. And as I read this, listen for how the gospel begins to cross these barriers. And when you hear the word Gentiles or Greeks, I want you to think of 
These are the people that have never heard the gospel. We are now getting beyond the regions of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and we're now getting to the ends of the earth. Listen, verse 19. Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, so this is picking up from chapter 8, verse 1, made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And what were they doing? Speaking the message to no one except Jews. So they have now crossed geographical borders, but who are they speaking only to? The Jews. So it hasn't crossed cultures yet. But there were some of them, uh, Cyprus and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus is crossing cultural barriers. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Then the report about them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem. So now they're like, the church in Jerusalem's like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? This can't be true. You're not only crossing geographical borders, you're crossing um, cultural barriers. Verse 23. Uh, Sorry, and the, uh, and the church that was with Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. Verse 23, when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of the people were added to the Lord. So here we all of a sudden, we begin to see that people were reaching others that were not like themselves. A different background, different culture, slightly different language. They looked different. And based, based on the gospel, it was not because they were going on vacation. It was not because they found someone that had similar likes. It was the gospel itself that drove them to places where they have never heard the gospel. It is the gospel that breaks through those barriers and nothing else. As you... Where to, don't, don't turn there, but Acts chapter 15 and, and even in Galatians chapter 2, we see later on that this church is not just a church that becomes a Greek-only church or a Jew-only church, but this actually becomes a church that is multiracial. They have their Greeks, they have their Jews, they, and, and this city of, of, uh, of Antioch is already made up of different cultures, and, and that begins to be the makeup of this church and people begin to see, whoa, 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 there's something about this church. They begin to see, these people don't act like the rest of us. These people are a holy people. These people love not just those that look like them. They love those that don't look like them. And Barnabas, he sees that, and he's, he's just like, wow, this, this, can't be, this can't be true. How is this even going on? In this place that is known for gods, all these foreign gods, and they are turning from these gods to the one true God. What on earth would drive someone who has spent their entire life worshiping an idol to turn away from everything that they've grown up to believe to the one true God? I believe, as we see in the New Testament, they will know we are Christians by our love. And it's not just for love of people that look like us. It's our love for those that aren't like us and where they began to see disciples that look like disciples they said i i want to be a part of that jump down to the end of verse 26 it is when the outside people the lost people when they began to see this group 
of mixed people, when they begin to see how the, the gospel breaks down barriers that the secular world cannot break down, when they see them walking together in holiness and love, they called them something. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It's amazing that up to this point there already was a, a strong church in Jerusalem. There were several churches around that had come up. But it was here that finally people said, those people are like Christ. It wasn't the churches that were doing good deeds. It wasn't the, the churches that had the most people in it. It was the church that represented the body of Christ, a people of every tribe, tongue, nation. This is what allows people to see this is what a person of God looks like, a disciple of Christ looks like. As we go on, they didn't stop there. They began to reproduce themselves. In Acts chapter 11, uh, 27 to the end, it, they then, actually this is crazy, a brand new church, and they're already meeting the needs of other churches around. They're hearing about churches that are struggling. Hey, this church has, has needs. They, maybe they're, they, they're poor, whatever it may be. And they're already sending out support for other churches. This is a brand new church. And I want you to just pause for a second here. These are people who were just worshiping idols. These aren't born in a Baptist church people, okay? These are brand new baby Christians, have no understanding of anything from the past. They're in the Word of God, and they're radically changed, and they are the ones sending money to the established churches. That is mind-boggling. That may be hard for us to wrap our brains around that because that's totally apart from our culture, but that was radical back in those days. Not only that, you get to chapter 13. And it is this church that is now sending out Paul. The very first missionaries come out of this church. You see, this church had two choices. They could have said, man, look, look what a great thing we have, guys. Man, let's just stay here and let's just huddle up. Let's just have our big old group huddle, all right? You know, no coronavirus is going to spread out of here because we're just going to stay together. But that's not what they did. They said, we know Scripture we know what happened to us. We were lost, but we were found. We were blind, but we can see. And we want to be a part of what Scripture says. The plan of God where we sin and we go and we reflect the glory of God across cultural and geographic barriers. That was the church at Antioch. Now, I, I, my desire would be to Stop right here, have an invitation, and say, all right, everybody, come on down. This is a great story. Um, but that's not really how the story ends. And this last part is the sad part, and it's, it should be a wake-up call for all of us that are here. Because that was the Myanmar church. Adonai Judson goes there. Explosion of faith. I mean, people are responding. They're turning from idols, all this great stuff. And, and they are, are uh, sending out missionaries, and then... After about 100 years, they became comfortable, and they became a dead church. In America, we see that we are fighting for so, you know, some of the traditions and things like that where, where people, are they seeing that the Christians are the ones leading the charge to show love to those that are different? That we are leading the charge of, of reaching out to refugees? Let me pause again. It is not a mistake that in countries that we cannot get into to share the gospel, that they are now coming to America. 
That is not a mistake. They are now coming to our cities. These are gospel moments. And the gospel changes the way that we must view these things. God is bringing them to our doorsteps. People who have never heard the gospel. But we have two choices. We can say, no, we like things the way they are. Man, this is a good thing. We don't want to break that up and huddle up. That's what happened to me and mom. We see that happening in American history. And sadly, this is what happened to the church at Antioch. We begin to see little glimpses of this. Acts chapter 15 is we begin to see a little bit of arguing where they're like, oh, you know, the Jews say we should do this, but then the Gentiles say we should do this. And, and this is good. There was nothing wrong. They were having good arguments. They were going to scriptures. And what does scripture say? But we could already see this little bit of, of, of tension that was happening. And then something even crazier happened in Galatians chapter 2. We're almost done. Switch, go real fast to Galatians chapter 2. This may surprise you. We, you know, we kind of look up to the apostles and disciples as these are holy men. They have never done anything wrong. We should worship them. Make a, make a little white statue and, you know, whatever. Um, but do you know what? That they were not, they weren't perfect. Um, they had natural sinful tendencies just like we do. And we can learn from that. In chapter 2, Paul begins to talk about how he needs to uh, be sharing the gospel among Jews and Gentiles. But verse 11, I want to real fast, 11 through 13. Now, it says, safest here, some versions may say Peter. This is Peter he is talking to. It says, but when safest, or Peter, came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him. What happened? I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party, the Jews. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. This is who we naturally are as sinners. We gravitate towards those we like, and we, we kind of, we, we begin to put up those barriers, and we forget that the gospel breaks those barriers. This happened to Peter, it even happened to Barnabas, and we begin to see this happening in the church of Antioch, where they forget the gospel, they forget that gospel message, and they begin to look at themselves. Peter is looked at, looked at as the first uh, pastor of uh, the church in Antioch. Uh, there was a pastor after that, and then a pastor after that. So sometimes you'll hear this guy was the third pastor if you're including Peter. Sometimes the second pastor if you're not including Peter. But there was this, this guy, and uh, his name was um, Ignatius. Ignatius. Ignatius, so the third pastor. And it's really interesting. You can read his writings. Uh, you can go and, and look it up. But by the time of this guy, so this is 70 years after Christ, uh, during his, his time, People were in his church that still spent time with the apostles. And by that time, he was already speaking horrible things about those horrible Jews. And he was saying, hey, everyone, you need to follow me. If you don't follow me as your head pastor, you are of the devil. If you do anything without my approval, literally, verbatim, you are of the devil. And it's during that time where they begin to kind of create their own little kingdom. And do you know what is with him that marks the earliest beginnings of the Catholic Church? He actually coined the word Catholic, by the way. He began this idea that we're going to build a kingdom almost like the Tower of Babel, 
all over again because this is our central tendency. Eventually, a dying church. I want to close by looking at a passage. Go back. If you're at Galatians chapter 2, we had read about this. I want you to see what Paul says regarding what he was seeing at the church at Antioch, what he was saying to Peter and Barnabas. The verse that we are familiar of, chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Paul says, For through the law I have died to the law, so that I may live for God. Listen. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, as he says in many of his other writings, basically everything that I have is, is filthy rags. Everything that this world has, has to offer is dung. Every, all desires that I have, it means nothing. I have been crucified with Christ. I am dead. And the only thing that I am is I am a follower of Jesus Christ, living out the commandments of his word, spreading the gospel across cultural and geographical barriers. So here's my question. If an onlooker were to come and to spend a month here at this church, what would they say? What would the commentary of this church be? Would it be a, a, a church that reflects that? How are, how are you doing in your own community? Are you only going to those that are like you? Are you, are you going into areas that maybe other people feel uncomfortable with? People of different social status. Maybe a different racial background. Maybe someone who speaks differently than you. Is your church breaking down those barriers in this area? I don't know. Only you can answer that. What about crossing those geographical barriers across this country, across the world? Think about the way you give financially. Think about the things that are important to you. Do you reflect the glory of God as his desire is? Let me read it again. The people of God are most vividly seen when they spread the glory of God across cultural and geographical barriers. Heritage Baptist and individuals, what is God speaking to your heart today? How can you reflect God's glory as the people of God, especially during pandemics, protests, rioting, unrest? In the end, what is Heritage Baptist going to look like? Let me pray for you, and then uh, Brother Luke's going to come up and close us out. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you. Uh, for your word, Lord, I, I stand here and I am uh, I'm guilty um, just because maybe our family has, has made a choice. Uh, Lord, we still have to wrestle every day to get uncomfortable, to not be around those that are like us, but Lord, those that need to hear the gospel. Every day, Lord, I know I need to put on gospel lenses. And Lord, I, I pray, especially for the American church, Lord, I, people right now, they're looking to see how will the church respond to our situation in, in our country and around the world. Will they reflect you or will they reflect an inward-focused people who have built their own kingdom? I pray that that would never be said of this church. I pray that that would never be said of my family. I pray that would never be said of me but that we would reflect 
the people of God, spreading your glory across cultural and geographical boundaries. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you for that uh, challenging message. I think the idea in, in American culture that we need to understand is what we've found, especially in the last six months, is that if we're not uh, investing in God's kingdom, it can be taken. And as much as we wanted to see or to look out and see uh, comfort and strength and stability, uh, even in the idea of our nation, uh, it disappears in a moment. It's disappeared with a virus. It's disappeared with racial relations. It's disappeared from the idea of inner city to, to rural community. It has just disappeared. And so when we're talking this morning about the idea of, of missions or being on mission, do not forget that this concept basically says that what you and I invest will never be lost. That's the idea of Christ pushing us to do things. So when you wake up tomorrow and you live in your community, if God is not calling you to go somewhere, He's at least calling you to send someone or to be helpful in sending others. So we stay where we're planted to be, right? We stay there, but we're always on mission. So as you go, you are spreading the word. Sometimes God calls you. Your life is, is not what it should be, what it could be, and God tells you to go, and you go. But the people that go need people to help send. So we are always on mission. You and I are missionaries right now. Even if you live in LQ, when you drive past the dollar store or you go into the gas station or you go to work, you are living on mission. Sometimes God calls you to go somewhere else, to pack up and to go, and we obey those things. But just because you've not been called to leave doesn't mean you're not called to be a missionary. You and I are called to go or we are called to help send. There is nothing else within the church. So as they come this morning,